This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a remarkable leader, Dr. Kelly Stecker. Dr. Stecker is the, both the Chief Medical Officer of LinkedIn Inclusion, LinkedIn Inclusion uh, and, and also the, 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 the founder of Patient Care Heroes. She's going to talk to us today about her new book. Kelly, Dr. Stecker, can you take a moment, tell us about your new book and where you're most focused today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So my new book is called Delivering, and I wrote this early on in the pandemic, and I really thought, or I guess I should say hoped, some of it would not apply any longer, but of course here we are still in a pandemic. And when I wrote this, I was really hoping to open up some authentic conversations around women's health care, women in leadership, uh, domestic violence. Uh, lack of access to care, all of those sorts of things, just to try to create more awareness for the things that people go through. Thank you. And tell us, what are some of the core messages you come out of with the um, in the book? And what do you see? What are some of the things you're looking at and thinking about? Yeah, so I, this is mostly all just memoir. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have some amazing patients that let me use their stories as well, because I really, again, want to create awareness for things that I fortunately have not gone through. However, I talk openly about my sexual assault, my issues growing up in my family that was not ideal. And I really wanted to open up the dialogue for women to know that they're not alone. These things did not happen to them because they were, you know, too, I guess I should say they were wearing the wrong thing, right? We always hear what were they wearing? Where were they? What was their fault in this, right? And I think it's really alarming that in 2021, we are still facing such challenges that women, even children, uh, go through kind of the, the, the stress of being blamed or victim blamed for some of these things. And so I think we need to have a new day to discuss some of these items so people can feel safe in wherever they're at. And so coming from that and coming from the experiences that I've had obviously shaped me wanting to be an obstetrician gynecologist and to help women and advocate for women. And so that's why, as you know, I created Patient Care Heroes and have been fortunate enough to become involved with another organization, Linked Inclusion. And through that, we're really focusing on wellness on a national and global stage. And what does wellness mean? Well, wellness to me means really anything that can affect your quality of life, right? So if a woman is struggling to pay for leave because she's, you know, trying to have a baby and on maternity leave, then we need to look at that. We need to look at how we're making sure that they're respected and getting the care and access of care that they need. And so one of the other big projects we're working on is maternal mortality. And it's not shocking that the rates of maternal mortality have gone up with COVID. I'm sure you've seen that as well. And the ratios of black women to white women dying are three to one. And I think that this could become much more significant of a disparity as time goes on here with COVID. <clears throat> because as you also know, some of the discrepancies in how we're vaccinating people is significant. And so when we look at this, we wanna make sure that we can tackle these issues head on and make sure that people have the resources that they have. Even in you know, areas in rural America, we're seeing people pulling out of providing care. So in Minnesota here where I'm at, recently a more rural hospital shut down in Hastings, Minnesota for their labor and delivery. And so what are we gonna do with those patients? How are they gonna get the care that they need? How are they going to make sure that they're safe? And so these are all issues that we're, we're tackling with linked inclusion. 
Thank you very, very much. This, this concept of blaming the victim for sexual assault, how do we get past that in our country? There's so much of that blaming the victim. You said it well. What was she wearing? What did she do? Did she do this? Did she do that? How do we get past some of that? How do we sort of, I mean, obviously, any prosecutor's got to do their job, and they got to make sure it wasn't consensual, that it really was sexual assault and so forth. But how do you get past this issue of, like, so much blaming the victim when there's a sexual assault? We see this, men and women, we see this with this, um, you know, we see this recently with a young male hockey player sexually assaulted by a coach on the Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks. How do you get past this blaming the victim role these things and, and, and towards empathy and trying to understand? Yeah, I mean, it's really a cultural thing. And unfortunately, men and women can be sexually assaulted. And I think we really minimize men being sexually assaulted because of how we have effectively sexualized men, right? So, you know, I have a son and a daughter. Do I want either one of them to be assaulted? No. Do Would I assume that you know, a, a boy or a teenager or a man would like it if he was assaulted? No, I would not assume that. And so I think we've really created this very distinctive narrative where men are like driven by sex and would like it and whatever. And women are, again, I think some of it has come from purity culture, right? And you know, when I was growing up, we, you know, sex was kind of this taboo topic, right? And I think that growing up in Wisconsin in a more rural area kind of lends itself to more of the purity culture. You think that your worth is your sexuality. You think your worth is your body, right? And so if you have people body shaming you and putting all of your worth as a person onto you physically or your virginity, which I know is the case in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different areas in the country, then what happens? Then it becomes almost like an obstacle for men to kind of capture that virginity as well, right? So we have really got to change the narrative and we really have to see the fact that both men and women can be victims and we have to openly discuss that. And the problem is it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what gender you are. It's embarrassing. and It can be shameful for people because of the narrative that we've written. Right. So um, as you know, most women or men do not come forward with sexual assault because they have also internalized this this narrative, this misogyny, this enabling behavior of their perpetrators that they must have been, uh, you know, part of the process, right? So I know when this happened to me, I thought, well, that was dumb. Like I went on this date with this guy that was older and I shouldn't have been alone with him. And, you know, you go through the whole thing in your mind uh, that and somehow work it out that you are to blame. So then it takes a long time for you to even process that maybe you weren't the one to blame, maybe actually consent should just be consent, right? And so we really are going to have to take a lot of time in having these open dialogues and being willing to discuss this. And survivors need to come forward and discuss their stories, as painful as it is for them to rehash some of this stuff, so that people can learn from it. And I know that the other critical factor is people don't get justice, right? So I know a lot of people, especially working as an OBGYN, who feel like all right, well, if I come forward, what's going to happen? Essentially, exactly like we talked about, they'll be victim blamed, they'll be slut shamed. That's another typical thing that happens. Well, if you had sex with this person six months ago, why wouldn't you have sex with this person, right? Like all these things come out and they really character assassinate you. 
And the, the issue with that is then that person literally is, again, made to believe that they are at fault for all of this and can't heal and can't move forward. And so it's just the shame that they carry. And so people don't come forward because of fear. People also don't come forward because a lot of times it's people they know, right? Like maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a relative. And unfortunately, these things just embed shame. And also they might not be believed by people. And that's another real fear. So if you are assaulted by a coworker and you come forward, and let's say this is an individual who may have power over you in some capacity and you're not believed, what do you think happens, right? You're essentially being gaslighted the PTSD becomes more complex PTSD in these cases. And this really takes a toll on someone's sense of self, whether they know what reality is, like how they can process life. And the same thing happens with when you come forward and talk to parents or relatives, right? So in my case, I, the only person who knew um, was my mother and um, my sister eventually. And my mother was running for a political office at the time. Well, she's, you know, was a very conservative individual and so of course what happened well it wouldn't reflect well on her in her political campaign if we came out and we pressed charges or we did whatever we needed to do right so of course she was worried that it was going to reflect on her parenting that she allowed me to be in a situation where this could even happen so we did nothing right so we did not press charges or follow through on these things and she basically gaslighted me into believing that it was completely my fault as a teenager. I mean, isn't that amazing how much of this doesn't get talked about or doesn't come forward for so many different reasons that are so unique but pervasive? Uh, yeah. It, it, and it really is. I mean, it's a very sensitive affair see a situation where for family reasons somebody doesn't come forward. Because work reasons they don't come forward. They're afraid how it's going to look. I mean, you see this crazy thing with, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo, who's had now it seems like a a dozen different people have now said, yes, he's a media star, but he, you know, but he assaulted me. And I was scared to come forward because he was such put up on such a pedestal. I mean, it's so common, isn't it? This person who was a Blackhawks player just scared to come forward because, you know, starting a career and doesn't want to be like looked at it a different way and you see the lifelong scars that so much of this causes and there's so many reasons why people don't come forward yeah and you know i think governor cuomo is a perfect example of why people don't come forward right i you have an individual who's popular right he was made more popular during the whole pandemic he gained power he gained favor people were looking at him for higher office than he had you know, and I think, what, what are you going to do? You're a 22-year-old intern, and I mean, you're trying to start your career, and these people have a real ability to ruin your career before it starts, and I think that that's a genuine fear that I've had in different situations. I know that we've talked about this, I think, even on your last show, but that's a concern that a lot of medical students and residents have, that we face everyday challenges with people in leadership in the healthcare world. And I think that until we actually are going to hold people accountable for their actions, it's impossible to move forward. So for example, in the state of Minnesota, we had an individual that practiced out of Mayo, and you can see the information in the cancer letter on this, but this was a prominent oncologist, and he kept all of his 
you know, task forces and training fellows and everything else, even though he had a long history of being essentially a sexual predator. We also had uh, an individual out of the Twin Cities here where I, I work, um, not in my system, so out of the Alina system, a well-known plastic surgeon who had over 10-year history of sexual misconduct with patients, in fact, that he admitted to that was documented. And finally, a line of the health system said, no, 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 like what is going on here? You can no longer be credentialed in our health system. But these individuals are allowed to just hang out. You know, they're allowed to practice, they're allowed to have their credentials, they're allowed to see patients, they're allowed to train vulnerable trainees that may be, you know, mistreated, mishandled, threatened, whatever the case may be. And there's no ramifications. And so if I, I'm a woman in this situation, and I have seen this example time and time again, and this is not like this is just the Minnesota thing, this is a national thing, and I see this time and time again, well, why would I want to come forward when then my safety and my career is in significant jeopardy? And the data shows that women go through these issues every day, the microaggressions, the racial and gender equity issues that happen in medicine, and that's one of the reasons I had started Patient Care Heroes, because really at the root of a lot of depression, anxiety, burnout, physician suicide, is this lack of respect and the lack of safety that we have in our own healthcare system. And it, it really is. It, it's, it's fascinating, too, where so many systems still, so many organizations still, when somebody's accused of something, there is still so much brushing it under the rug, not taking it seriously, telling the person to leave quietly, which happened, of course, in many organizations, and that person goes on to prey on other people. And exactly. it's such, a, such a, 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 an incredible situation. And, and the organizations, you know, are scared to get sued, scared to step up, scared to get in the middle of it. So they let the person just go, or they let a brush under the rug, which is an absolutely horrendous behavior as well. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's really a, a – uh, and, and it's amazing to me how pervasive it is, right? I mean, how much, how much of this conduct is pervasive? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the culture of medicine, really and truly. And if you look at, well, okay, are we making progress? Well, no, we're not making progress because if you talk to people who are 70 or 50 or 30, we all have the same stories. And only about 13% of healthcare CEOs are actually, in fact, women. We're not on boards. And you know, when I thought about, okay, how are we gonna change this? I got tired of listening to the, you know, oh, that's a sad story. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. No, we have to make actual changes. And so that's why, you know, I joined the ACGME task force. And that's a task force that's going to call the action, the residency oversight organization. However, they're reluctant to make change because of course, you know, conflicts of interest and funding and the hospital associations and everything else. And so that is a real critical issue. And so I think really what we need to do, and this is one of the things that we're planning on doing with linked inclusion as we get moving here, is to really wrap our arms around this issue. We wanna make sure that we're holding systems accountable. And, and in fact, if people are not safe in their working environments, this should be reflected on their staff. People should know that this is not a safe place to work before they even go there for a job. You know, This should be how their payments are affected. It shouldn't just be, oh, are we doing an okay job taking care of patients? Well, no, it should be, are our employees safe to work in this environment? I mean, we're technically healthcare systems, right? So we should be able to keep our healthcare workers safe. And so when we look at doing national oversight of this, I think that that's really paramount because 
who is overseeing these organizations like the ACGME and the AMC, who's holding them accountable for their lack of intervention in these situations to protect our residents and medical students who are the most vulnerable to these issues. Dr. Stecker, I want to thank you for joining us today and shedding just more light on this pervasive, horrible issue. Thanks so much for having me.